Look up there in the sky. It's a bird. A plane. It's Handsome Boys Comics Hour. Those boys are so handsome. One saber tooth. <laughs> One weekly discussion of comics and nerd culture. I'm your host, Robbie Dorvin, literature geek and writer. And I'm your other host, Eric Z. Goodnight, professional artist and illustration nerd, frail. <laughs> oh no, you said it. Uh, we are the Handsome Voice Comics Hour, for news, reviews, silly, antagonistic banter, and much, much more. I, I could not do it. I had, I had, to, I had to throw it in I was somewhere. literally going to say, like, as an adult looking back on that character that the that word is very insidious <laughs> it's it's a little creepy it is but i mean sabertooth he's supposed to be a monster. oh yeah yeah he's 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 a giant horrifying man frail yes dear god hey handsome minds this is episode 142 uh we have quite an episode for you uh, we are reading The Nameless City volume 1 by Faith Aaron Hicks for Nerdboy Book Club and we are will be joined uh, by a very special guest, uh, Ivy Decker. We found at swank, swankivy.com. She, uh, does, she writes. She does webcomics. She is a, a, a friend to, to, to us. And we are uh, happy to have her join us, uh, for that discussion. Uh, but before we get there, Eric. Robbie. We have to talk about comics that came out this very week. We don't have to. Yes, we have. It, ha- it, would, it no, would certainly be nice to. No, we have entered into a covenant. We must do it. A covenant. Mm-hmm. A comic covenant. G- gross. <laughs> it is time for weekly floppies. That was that was the that was the literal worst. <laughs> that was the, the ugh. Weekly floppies is a part of the show where Eric and I will take a look at this past week's books, uh, tell you to buy or do not buy them. There may or may not be a mush meter involved, depending on how mushy our feelings are. Uh, I'm very excited to see what you think about this comic, Eric. It is uh, our first book of the week. It is Xena, Warrior Princess, number one. Written by Genevieve Valentine, art Ariel Medell, colors Najan Jamberi, letters Rob Steen. Uh, did you ever watch Xena, Warrior Princess? No. No, Never. I did not. Never not, saw it? Not a, not a once. How about Hercules with uh, Kevin Sorbo? No. In fact, thinking about both of them kind of makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I watched an episode here and there as a child, as like a teenager, I think, or I mm-hmm. I think I was younger than that, honestly. It was probably like a tween or something that, you know, it was on TBS at like five o'clock in the afternoon. And I was, you know, just, hey, let's see. It, it was a very kind of campy fantasy thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, swords and sandals, but, you know, it wasn't very gory or violent. Um, and that's, what do you, this book is, is, is a strange thing. Yes, it is. It's incredibly weird. Because that was the appeal of that, the, of both of those series and, and, and of course, Xena in particular and that, and the fact that Xena in the nineties subtext was, Hey, this is a lesbian relationship mm-hmm. between the two main characters. And they, I mean, there's even been, I think producers come out and like, Hey, if we rebooted this, it would not be subtext anymore. We're it's 2016. We just have, you know, they'd just be in a relationship. Um, but 
this book doesn't have that camp for the most part and also doesn't seem to have any of that relationship. It uh, it doesn't focus on it for sure. No, like I mean it it's not like every moment of the television show was about that, but it was clearly there. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the camp was a, like a big appeal t- and to me, at least as a, as a, when I was watching it, when I was younger, I was like, Hey, this is like, it was really like, Hey, this is look at like wink and a nod, tongue in cheek. We know what we are. This mm-hmm. is, tr- I, I don't know. Like this book can work if it doesn't go like it can't, it, it can't out throw out game of Thrones, game of Thrones. Like I, that is my main critique of this book is that it needs to like pick a side. I guess. Did you enjoy this at all? Uh, I mean, it didn't make me want to puke, but it did. I was not terribly happy reading it. It's not awful, but I, I would rather have not wasted my time on it. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I came out of it. It has not enriched my life. I will say that. I think it is it... not something that I that I need to to happen again. I, I I I do not want to read the next issue. It has not grabbed me. I mean, it's not revolting or offensive. I think it looks nice. Uh, I mean, I like it. Does it does look pretty good? Yeah. And like the storytelling and the dialogue in it is it. You know, it seems like it is achieving what it is trying to mm-hmm. do, but. I think that's comes back to my main critique of it is like this doesn't seem like it would appeal to the actual fans of this television show. Right. So why are you doing why? this? Like and it's not like you if it's going to be dark fantasy, it doesn't seem like you can't go do like and this book itself is not that violent even. Like there is a couple scenes of violence in it, but it's not really that, but it doesn't seem to be going if you're selling a Xena comic book, I want like, hey, let's camp it up. Let's be mm-hmm. ridiculous. We know this is a like a weird thing. Or like going for like, hey, this is a uh, you know a, a lesbian relationship or both of those things. Honestly, but like, do what the show was trying to do. But you, it's 2016, so you have more leeway. It doesn't do either of those things. It's just kind of like, hey, this is a fairly standard fantasy story, medieval fantasy story. Actually, it's not medieval. It's like Roman it's time, Roman. Roman. which I don't. I guess that was a thing in the show. I just don't remember. I just remember like, hey, like there was like gods and monsters hanging around. Well, if it's set at the same time, if it's set with Hercules, it would yeah probably be best that it is at least in some period where that's relevant. Yeah, and this is, but uh, like I, it it this book isn't incompetent by any means, but it doesn't like there's no need for it, you know. So I'm, I'm a do not buy on that alone. Like, I don't think that fans of the show would like this, even. It's not something that I think people should really waste their time on. I I, I don't know. So are you saying you were a fan of the show? I enjoyed what I never, I didn't really like, I enjoyed what I watched. I never okay. like went out of my way to, I've never seen, I certainly haven't seen everything. I've seen, you know, bits and bobs here and there, but. So your recommendation is, if you're a fan, you probably will not like this. I don't think so. That's very interesting. I I don't know. I can't justifiably say, if you're a fan, check it out, which is kind of what I was going to say. So I, I guess I can't well, justify well, I, that. I mean, I'm not, had... I'm not everybody, but that's. it seems like that was what that show, those shows were going for. And, mm-hmm. and this doesn't have that. It is fairly self-serious. 
Uh, so double do not buy Xeno yeah. Warrior Princess number one. I mean, you can, I, I mean, I, if you like the show, you can check it out and see maybe you like the show for different reasons or thought the show had different appeal, but that's what I got out of it. Uh, our next comic is House of Penance. Number one, story and words by Peter J. Tomasi, art Ian Bertram, colors Dave Stewart, Nate Picos on letters. Uh, this book is, like we said, the last book is weird. That was mainly because I think of what it was like going for. This book is just plain out like, hey, this is crazy stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Like crazy lady building a giant house uh, to appease the, the, the ghost of her dead uh, uh, family members. I can, I can, uh, this is pretty deadly. Drawn by Edward Gorey. It's it's you don't you don't you don't think that's apps? I don't. It certainly has that. It is very much a western feel, like that feeling of a western, and it's it, weird and supernatural. Yeah, and makes no sense in the way that Pretty Deadly is all of those things. This, I mean, I feel like this makes less sense than Pretty Deadly, at least on this based on this issue mm-hmm. alone. But I am still intrigued. Like I still, I am really curious. Like what is going to happen? With this story, uh, like, I don't know what is, like, I, I have no idea what to expect, but I kind of like that. It kind of appeals to me in this story. Like, and the, I do like the Edward Gorius art in this. Mm-hmm. It, it, oh, yeah. It looks really nice. It is a, it is a nice looking book. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, this, it's well written. It's just that, like, the, it's a, it's a mystery. I like, I, and I think that this, I want to know what is with this woman in this house. The mark making reminds me of Raphael Grandpa as well. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I think just for the sake, because this, this book is just full balls out crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, it is not a half measure. I mean, it just moves from scene to scene, jumping through time, and you barely have a clue that it's doing it. You know, it, it it's not terribly clear what's going on, and it makes no apologies for that. No, like there, you are like immediately. You're like, hey, it's this, t- this, it's this, it's 1905, and now it is a week later, and now you're looking at tombstones that say 1895. So that means they've been dead for ten years. Mm-hmm. Or, and then you're, uh, but which makes sense considering the size of this house. But uh, it you know, it's jumping different locations and all that stuff. I I think that was actually. All that jumping, I think, was mostly unnecessary. But uh, I, I like how this book looks. I like the weird Western mystery horror stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I want to know. I want to know what's going on. So I'm a buy. I don't know that we'll ever know what's going on, but what's going on? That's correct. Yes, I said hey. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, this is. This is this is this is worth your time if you like things that are weird and insane, mm-hmm. which I do. So, <laughs> game on! I I say buy this crazy ass book and be weird. Yes, double buy House of Penance number one. Uh, next up is a uh, Mockingbird number two, written by Kelsey Chain, art Kate Nemechek, colors Rachel Rosenberg, letters Joe Herrick Magna. Uh, we read the first issue and we were pretty intrigued by it. Uh, I just thought, you know, check in with the, the second issue, uh, see where the story's going. This is, uh, I guess, a lighter, more lighter story than that first issue was. It feels like this, this, it, it's like smaller and more, and more like funny, you mm-hmm. know, I think. This is, uh, this is very Archer. It is. It is extremely Archer. Mm hmm. 
in ways that the first issue necessarily wasn't all all of it, but this is definitely like hey, like adult the adult humor in mm-hmm. in the way that Archer is adult humor. Yes. And I think the I mean, you know, spy themes. Mm-hmm. It 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 dovetails pretty, you know, you could call it that that genre. Yeah. Pretty clearly. Spy. I mean, they even might have said, "Well, here's this character Let's pattern him. Dire- let's pattern it directly after Archer. I don't remember if we said that the last book was cute or not. I think we. I, th- I think this book is cute. This book is cute, and I. Th- I think we threw that adjective in there. We use a lot of adjectives for that first issue because we say a lot of words. We do, but I feel like it was the the issue did a lot of things very well. Uh, it was able to. Like I say, this book is lighter because that first issue really set a a, a time bomb. Uh, something I know. Eric always says about things that do do that do set a a set stakes early on. Uh, that book did that, and this book exists almost independently of that. It doesn't necessarily check in on the events of what happened at the end of that uh, first issue. So you know, it is going on midst all that stuff still happening. You know, it's just adventures of while the overarching plot is kind of in the background. Um, but I'm I like it. It's still good. It mm-hmm. it it is. I I'm a hit and miss on Archer, honestly, but I feel like this uh, maybe it's just because it's in a Marvel setting. I like it more, but mm-hmm. I'm a, a buy. It's a it's a cute and fun book, and I don't know. I was pleasantly surprised. I had uh, I don't know. It's it's on my radar again. I will uh, eagerly wait to see how the rest of this shapes up. But yeah, this is this is worth your time. Absolutely, buy this book. Double by Mockingbird number two comes with a paper uh, paper craft corgi. Oh, corgis! They're so cute. Are you gonna get a corgi? No, we're not gonna dog. You're not. You're 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 moving to the frozen north. This is when you get your husky. We've discussed it. We're not getting a dog. Uh, yeah, it's probably wise. <laughs> yeah, probably is. <laughs> uh, our next book is Moon Knight number one, uh, written by Jeff Lemire, art Greg Smallwood, colors Jordi Belair, letters Corey Pettit. Uh, this is the relaunch uh, of of Moon Knight post Secret Wars. Um, we uh, the the team of you know Warren Ellis, Declan Shalvey, and Jordi Belair doing their initial six issue arc of Moon Knight was amazing, and then the uh, this like it it continued and it still was quite good uh, with Colin Bunn and a small one plus some other artists who contributed. Uh, this is resetting it in a certain way. Um, well, it, it acknowledges the history of the character, but it it uh have you seen Twelve Monkeys? Not in uh any coherent way. Like I was very young when I saw it and I never actually sat down and watched it and tried to understand what was going on. It it can it's incoherent in general. Yes. Even when you're no, watching it exactly. like in the way you're supposed to. And yes. this and like uh any kind of drama set in an insane asylum or ostensibly in a sane asylum mm-hmm. with your point of view as one of the patients has been done many, many times. I can think of multiple works of fiction plus video games that have done mm-hmm. this. I mean, and, and it is a kind of a inherently interesting thing because, you know, you're taking like it, it's an unreliable narrator and they themselves aren't sure of the facts. And so, you know, the, it is a convenient way to tell a story because the mystery becomes unveiled to kind of everyone at the same time. Uh, and this story has posited that Mark Spector uh, is a crazy person and that Moon Knight has never existed. 
It is all a fiction of his imagination. Uh, I think they actually are. I think she says that Moon Knight is real. Oh, well, he, did I did. I, yeah, he has never been Moon Knight is what she says. There is a Moon Knight, but you are not him. There is a Moon Knight, Mark, but you are not him. Right. You've been in this institution since you were 12 years old. And that then at the end, he's in there. He's talking to Conchu or what mm-hmm. he thinks is Conchu the entire time. At the end, he puts on a fake his own made like his own Moon Knight mask. And then we get crazy visions of like an Egyptian yeah. city mixed in with modern um, New York. Yes. Yeah, that's some Empire State Building. Yeah, Empire State Building. So Th- that th- I don't know. That was one of the things that from the Warren Ellis run that he said about that, that he is, he is, he is both mentally ill and talks to an Egyptian deity. Like both of these things are true. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, I don't know. You assume that that's what's happening. This is incredibly compelling to me. I mean, even though you say that this is a, um, no, that's like, this is an established sort of way to tell a story. Uh, it's not groundbreaking, but this is still, very compelling to me and this is one of my favorite things that i've read by lee meyer and i bring up those points because oh yeah i'm a like my mm-hmm. head knows that like yes. i'm like oh you know like i'm thinking back to 12 monkeys and all the other things i've seen where that stuff happens but i'm then it kind of it when he goes out on the rooftop and he sees that pyramid i'm like in the flying i don't know what those are but Egyptian monkeys. mythological. They're, they're they're flying monkeys. I think they're flying cats. Actually, they're always flying monkeys. It's flying monkeys. They're, they look like cats or dogs. Monkeys. They're not monkeys. They're flying monkeys. You're, this is not Wizard of Oz. Uh, <laughs> you don't know that. That's true. But I <laughs> I want it like regardless of like if this has been like uh, because it is Mark Spector because I'm I'm already kind of have uh ties to this version of the character through the 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 last relaunch of it and because this is very well written and it looks really nice and i want to know like it, it does not feel like a normal marvel book it feel like it this does not feel like a superhero book even though ostensibly it is the main character is a superhero like that because it exists in the marvel universe and i am inherent like what's gonna happen like is this is he gonna turn out to just be like the moon knight we've been reading or is he gonna be, like is he crazy like uh, it has me has me hooked I am a, a very, I'm a strong buy. This is very good. Mm. No, this is, uh, I am excited to read the rest of these. Possibly as excited as I was after reading the first Ellis Moon Knights. Man, who would have ever thought Moon Knight would be a great, a compelling character? Yeah. Well, they moved past the fact that he was just Egyptian Batman. Like, mm-hmm. that's, I think they had to make him his own thing. Mm-hmm. I think that was. You know, and they and all these all these creators have wisely basically stayed clear of that. You know, yes, yeah. Double by Moon Knight number one. Our last book of the week is the unbelievable Gwenpool number one. Mm. Oh no, that noise! Uh, written by Christopher Hastings, uh, main story artist by Guri Hero, uh, prologue artist Danilo Bayruth. Prologue colors Tamara Bonvillon, letters and production Clayton Cowles. Got covered by Guru Hero. Um, I like this despite myself. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're saying. Like I think that it's it's cute and fun, and it makes me question why I don't like most Deadpool comics because it's not really that different. 
I, I don't know. It, it's got a lot of the same sort of like, well, let me murder a bunch of people and, and joke about it. It's still that, but it, you know, she wears pink and she talks in pink as well. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I don't know. I actually, like, I, I had this, these thoughts and I'm like, well, I, I think I can narrow it down to at least a few reasons why I think this is more interesting to me than most Deadpool comics. Mm -hmm. And the fact that one, she's like a, a person. Yeah. Theoretically, like she doesn't have abilities. She's like, mm -hmm. a, she's, a cartoon character, but she doesn't have superpowers. Mm -hmm. So, like, that in, like, she has more of it, like, there's more of, I have a rooting interest in her more than a Deadpool who is, has a healing factor and, and like, is basically gonna be invincible because he makes Marvel too much money. Like, he, they're not mm -hmm. gonna kill, Deadpool's never gonna go away. He'll no. always be around. And, uh, two, like, Deadpool, is a comic book character that is aware he's a comic book character. She exists basically in our universe and then has been put into a comic book. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like her willingness to like kill, like the fact that she defeated a Sentinel because she remembered it's the, like the patterns from an X-Men video game. Yes. Like that I find very charming. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And, and the fact really nailed it home to me is the last, page of this where modok murders her little mm -hmm. hacker buddy and she's i did not see that coming i, I didn't just, either I thought, I thought this was gonna be the the buddy comedy comic book and then and she's like cradling his skull and realize she's like oh no i yeah. have to work for modok now or he'll kill me yeah yeah it's pretty pretty grim and like i it made me feel things like deadpool mm -hmm. most of the time i'm like this is like just the jokes and there's nothing else for a lot of the time this it it subverted my expectations for a character like deadpool by giving it emotional stakes at the end with that poor hacker dude just gets mm -hmm. immolated so i don't this is i really like and the art's really good i like it is guru hero's amazing and i, I this prologue i as much as i love guru hero i don't think they're well suited to to this character or this i mean the cover is incredible but this comic does not look like that i'd rather him just go back to drawing nothing but avatar the last airbender comics for a while i i i, I put a put him on miss marvel it's true for a, a good long stretch i'd i'd be okay with that although i don't we'll see how well this this book does honestly uh there i mean the, this is this book only exists because i the there was this was supposed to be like a one-off thing, mm -hmm. and then hey, it did very very well. So they made its its own series. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's anomalous. It kind of shouldn't be a thing. But is uh, is she supposed to be a version of Gwen Stacy? I mean, her name is Gwen Poole. Her no, last name is Poole. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't read the the one shot thing, so I don't know if if she's supposed to be. She's a blonde woman, mm -hmm. a blonde lady. But I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't know. It could be. She never mentioned. She doesn't mention it at one at any time. So mm. you'd think they would at least call it that in if that was the case. But I will. You know, I'm a buy. I like this a lot. Actually, I'm really like it's a good. Like I'm. I'm gonna keep reading this. Yeah. It. It, it is. It is a. It is a surprisingly good book, and I like it despite myself. So. Yeah, I'm a buy on Gwenpool. What the hell is this all about? 
<laughs> you know, life surprises you sometimes, Eric. It does. That life finds a way. Life finds a way. I have. I haven't read it. Did you read anything else this week? No. I do have a little postscript of something I just wanted to mention because uh, you've checked in with it before. Is One Punch Man? Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Um, I I haven't watched it yet. Um, I but I did. He is. Do they have like? Does he have an ethnicity in that in the manga? Does One or? Punch Man have an ethnicity? Yes. I'm gonna assume he's Japanese. Okay, that's why I'm, I'm, his, his name. His name is Saitama. I so. didn't. I didn't want to assume that he's Japanese, but I. That's what I thought. But I just wanted to ask you and make sure because in the all new Inhumans book, mm-hmm. uh, the crystal centric book. Um, yes. They they encounter a team of Chinese superheroes, mm-hmm. one of which looks exactly like One Punch Man. Interesting. Like, not, like, it's, like, I am only, like, you know, a passing familiarity with the character because of what you've told me and what I've seen online. I look at the, I looked at the preview pages last week, I'm like, that's One Punch Man. Like, he's in, and he's apparently inhuman. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. But he's Chinese? I don't, I don't know. I think they just went like, hey, let's have a character that's going to be in, like, one comic book look like I'm, One Punch I'm, Man. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the picture of him now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It does. He does look exactly like One Punch Man, but I thought I'd mention it. It's a strange thing. It's a bit. It's a bit weird. But that'll be it for weekly lobbies for this week. Next up, it is time for check in. Checking in is the part of the show where Eric and I will uh, talk about what we've been up to during the week. Uh, what we've been playing, watching, looking, reading, doing. All that kind of stuff. Recommendations for nerdy things. Uh, anything? What would you like to talk about, Eric? Mm. I don't have a whole mess of stuff that I can talk about. I did manage to do me some uh, record store day stuff. I saw your haul. Yeah, wasn't it great? It was pretty good. Yeah, I got uh, some excellent records. Um, of course, me talking about the awesome record stores that I went to would not help anyone outside of the St. Petersburg area because I went to many uh many well two excuse me not many a couple of record stores down there to planet retro and daddy cools and got a unplayed copy of freddie mercury's solo album that's neat it's a neat thing did have you listened to any of it yet yeah yeah i uh i listened to uh the both blondie albums i listened to the uh the isley brothers album they were all very good I paid less than a dollar for each of those Blondie albums. Wow. I got five albums for a dollar. That's two of them. Two of them were those Blondie albums. And I also got a Jethro Tull album, um, the Big Chill soundtrack, which I feel really dorky for buying, even though it really does have some good music on it. Um, what was the fifth album? It's, I can't, I can't even remember it at this point, but it was, it was a neat little haul of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I felt good about it. Also bought a Shel Silverstein album and a copy of a, uh, the Fight the Power single from uh, um, uh, Do the Right Thing. So I I don't know. I'm liking that I'm going to get to use my turntable. Makes me happy. Shel Silverstein album? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he wrote and sang a lot of music. Oh, okay. But this is, this is a country album that he recorded. Um called a boy named sue because he wrote a boy named sue oh okay yeah i didn't know that yeah it, it is it is certainly true he wrote it made famous by senior johnny cash 
The man in black. Mm-hmm. Always dressed for a funeral. It's true. It's ready to go at any minute. I uh I don't know. I'm I'm pretty pleased with that and all the other nothing that I managed to do. Well I was gonna ask you what episodes of Good Eat did you watch earlier? Oh god, I have watched a trillion of them lately. So I have become re obsessed with Good Eats. I'm doing a lot more cooking. My my trainer has told me to cook more and I'm also kind of exploring new foods to be on my, you know, diet. And it's weird. But it's, I don't know, it's an adventure. Um, like, I watched, I don't know, the Oats episode. I watched the Spaghetti Sauce episode today. That's what was playing this morning while I was having breakfast. The Spaghetti Sauce episode. Pantry Raid 2 is what it is. Those are all really good episodes, those Pantry Raid ones. What, what isn't a good episode of Good Eats? I mean, really. I mean, even the one about water is really interesting. I like them all. I'm just, I, I, I mean, like, yeah. for a non... People who aren't necessarily diehards, those mm-hmm. episodes are like inherently interesting because you know he's just going like, okay, what's well, odds and ends? What do I do with these mm-hmm. things? Like, th- mm-hmm. like that's a thing that normal people face on a day to day basis. Like if they're cooking, like you could go, well, I don't have, I want this, but I don't have any of the ingredients. I don't want to go to the store. What what can I do with the things I have? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like that's one of the best parts of his show is that it, it prepares you to adapt, you know, to what oh, yeah. you have in your house. It, it it's was very much his thesis uh, when he created Good Eats, that he's like, I want to create the cooking show that, you know, it assumes people will probably do some cooking and maybe they're reluctant to do it, but here's how you can do what you might already be doing, but do it better. Or here's something that you might be having someone else make for you. Here's how you can make it better. And... I don't know. It, I I really like Good Eats, like, a little too much. I don't think it's possible to like it too much. I have Alton Brown chained up in my closet. That Well, that's a different thing altogether. Mm. And I don't think you do, because he was eating hot chicken, like, from, like, in another state, like, yesterday. So, <laughs> don't think he's in Florida. Doesn't check out. Okay, you've got me. Okay. That was a lie. Okay, good. Glad. Glad you admit you didn't kidnap someone. You want to hear about so, some video games? I was just about to ask, why don't you talk about video games? <laughs> I have two I want to talk about. Uh, one is your favorite type of game, Eric. It is a roguelike. It is a roguelike. It is a roguelike. It is a twin-stick shooter roguelike, much like Binding of Isaac. Or uh, the uh, Nuclear Throne, which I've also recently – not recently, but I have checked in with a couple months ago, I believe. Um, it is uh, even broaching onto – like into becoming a bullet hell shooter at certain mm. points. Like boss fights are insane. Uh, but I don't know. You might still like it. Uh, it is called Enter the Gungeon. Uh, you are one of – you get one of four characters to choose from. Um, a The Space Marine stereotype. Uh, a like a Han Solo type guy, uh, a, a a lady prisoner escapee, uh, or a, a I think a bounty hunter lady who has a dog mm-hmm. with her. Um, okay. And you are all these characters share one thing is that they are trying to kill their past. And at the bottom of the gungeon, there's a a gun that can kill the past. Uh, the gungeon has five levels in it. Uh, you will go into 
as you explore each level, uh, you will find different rooms. Some have enemies in them. Some have chests. Some have like shopkeepers, vendors. Uh, you will collect currency. You will have, you start with a, a gun with infinite ammo. You'll find one of many, 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 many different guns in this game. There are like hundreds of guns. Um, a lot of use, like there is a Ghostbuster proton pack in the game. Hmm. Like just straight up and probably the best, the best gun I've encountered. There is a BFG from Doom in it. <laughs> like that gun is in the game. There's a gun that is shaped like the letter R that just shoots the word bullet. And it says bullet every time. It goes bullet, bullet, and then letters B-U-L-L-E-T just fly out and kill enemies. Uh, I'm, there's like, you know, there's the, your standard kind of guns, but there's also guns like, just weird. Like there's a, there's a water pistol. There's like all kinds of. I'm seeing a, uh, a, an animated gif of there's a mailbox that's shooting letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a barrel that is shooting fish. Is it fish? Yep. Okay. I, could, I, I saw water, and I assumed it was water. It shoots. That is indeed fish that's flopping against the wall. Yep. And, they... and, then there, and then there's a devil's head that's puking a laser. Yep. Yep. That's in the game, too. Uh, like, in the lore, like, if you, every single one of these guns has, like, a little paragraph they've written. Like, they're, they've gone to, like, a lot of, of, like, they've done a lot of work on it. Like, all your enemies, like, the first level, they're, like, little bullets with guns. That shoot mm-hmm. at you. And then there's like ghost bullets. And then like there's one of the first end, like one of the big bosses, uh, you face is a bird that rips its feathers off to have like a barrel chest, like Rambo with a minigun. I just found a picture of him. Yeah. And there's, there's a, he's like the guy from, from, from Metal Gear Solid. That, yes. There, it is not, a, it is not a shame. Actually, of, wasn't he called Raven? I think that was his name. I don't know. He was the the Inuit. He was a real threat in the muck tuck eating contest. They they but like that is emblematic of everything in that game. Is that like they're fake? They don't care. They're always like, hey, like here's a gun from that thing you know. Here is an enemy that references something else. You know, some other cultural thing. Uh, but the gameplay is really tight. It's a lot of fun. You unlock. There's no necess- Like there's no character progression. You don't like get more health or anything, except through buying. I, buying and finding items inside each run. Things reset at the beginning of each run. However, you can unlock new items and new shopkeepers and stuff by completing things and finding people down in the dungeon. Uh, there is even like a Link analog who, if you show him a completed map of the level you're on, he will give you an item for free. Like it's just stuff like that. It's a lot. Of, it's very charming. It's very the the sprites and the art in it is really good. Uh, it is very hard. I will say that. Uh, but it, I've gotten, I've gotten to the fifth level. I've not beaten a boss on the fifth level yet. That, that is, which ostensibly is the end of the game, but you're meant to do many, many different runs to unlock all the different stuff and get new items and stuff. There's also co-op, but it's, it's kind of like limited co-op, but it's there. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like 15, 20 bucks on Steam. So I think it's, it's felt worth it to me. Uh, and my next game is a game that came out, uh, was it really this Tuesday? God, it must have been. I've been playing a lot of it. It's Dark Souls 3. Um, I know everyone's been talking about Dark Souls. Yeah, it just came out. It is... Have you played any Dark Souls games? Negative. Uh, they, I mean, they have their reputation for a reason. They are very hard, very difficult. This one, a, a lot of reviews and people, like, general consensus is like, hey, it's another one of those games. Uh, but it, I don't know, it's not... 
everything's not as obfuscated as it normally is. Like, like you go back and play the original. I've already bounced. I always bounced off the original Dark Souls. Dark Souls one. I bounce off mm-hmm. it every time I try to play it. I play it for a little bit and then like I get frustrated and quit. Uh, this game has. I've stuck around longer than I have on the, that. You know, mm-hmm. the first one. I kept going. Like I have died a lot. There are many difficult things. Uh, it, it sometimes feels really frustrating. You know, when you die and you lose a bunch of ex- like your souls, you lose your experience. Um, but I still like I like it. Like it's more clear about where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be doing. It's still a Souls game, so there's a lot of stuff that's still you have to go online if you want a quick answer. Like, what is this thing? What do I what do I do with this thing? And you just someone has found out what you actually what it is and what you can do with it, and you can just do that. Some people love not like going in blind and not knowing anything and just kind of figuring it all out. I would rather just hey, what does this item do? Tell me. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll use it for that reason. Um, it also does something that I don't know if, if I never noticed it with the first game, but it's something I really like uh, with the Fallout games, like environmental storytelling, where you don't necessarily aren't no one tells you what happened in this place. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You don't find there, there's no diary entries in this game. There's very the lore is basically like gleaned through like item descriptions and names of places. But like you go to like a place and like, there's obviously been a huge battle. Like you, like the very first area of the game, there are just dead dragons everywhere. And like, and you'll, and like a field of dead pilgrims, what they call pilgrims, just on a bridge, all kneeling, all dead. And there's like impact craters from where obviously something happened. And like, or there's a ray of like four or five corpses all in the same place. Uh, it, it's just really it, fun to explore those things and see and like try just to be in the world. It's very immersive in that way. Uh, I don't know. It, it's still very hard. It's, you know, if you don't want a slog through someone like, I wouldn't call it grindy because it's not necessarily like, oh, I need to be, my character needs to be stronger. It's more like, I need to be better, which mm-hmm. at some point you can't like force your way through. If you are not like, you can't figure out a way to get dexterous enough or recognize like bosses patterns fast enough. You're just not going to progress in the game, which I mean, it is a g- cool thing, but it's also a, like at the same time, it's can be bad. It's hard. Like, you know, it's for the fans. If you like that thing, you'll like this. If you won't, like, if you don't want to spend the time to either to be better or, you know, I cheese boss, like, you know, I cheese my way through this game a lot. So it's not, you know, if I can snipe something from a mile away with a bow and arrow, Mm -hmm. some big boss, that's what I do. I don't care. You know, I don't have shame. If I can get something stuck on the geometry of a level and then just I can hit it with a sword a hundred times until it dies, (laughs) I will do that. If I could fool a guy to jump off a ledge... So I don't have to fight him. I'll do that too. But it it's really neat. It's still, it's really good. I don't know. There's a lot of. It seems mostly the criticism is like, hey, it's another one of those. But I feel like it's better at getting a relative newcomer to enjoy the game. I don't hmm. know. But it is still it. People like I, I think, and there's also also because it's the third one and uh, theoretically the fifth one because there was Demon Souls, then Dark Souls, then Dark Souls two, then Bloodborne, and now Dark Souls three. That of uh, this basically the same style game. People are just the people who p- review these games are getting a lot better at them. 
And so they don't understand what, like, a newcomer sees when they come to this game. I, I don't know. It, I like this one. Maybe it's just because it looks better and plays better. Like, it, the controls feel better. It is, like, tighter. They've gotten better at making this type of game. But it's not, like, innovative. But I don't care. It's still fun. It's really, really beautiful. Video games look really good. Yeah, they do. There's, there's, I need, I need a new video card. There's multiple moments in this game. I'm like, wow, look at this. This yeah. is really impressive. And it's even cooler because a lot of the time, like, you look at something in the far distance and then, like, three hours later, you're there. You're like, hey, I, this place I was saw from, like, the, on the horizon. Now I'm at the gate. It's really neat. But, you know, that's it. Both good games, and I would recommend both. Enter the Gungeon and Dark Souls 3. Cool. Yeah. Uh, think that will round us up for checking in. I think it just might. Just might. Uh, and we will move on to our final segment for uh, our segment that we uh, we will be welcoming, I guess. It is time for Nerd Boy Book Club. Uh, this week in Nerd Boy Book Club, we are reading The Nameless City by Faith Aaron Hicks uh, with colors by Jordi Belair. We are joined... That's right. Joined by a very special guest, uh, Ivy Decker, a uh, friend, uh, uh, acquaintance, uh, raconteur. Uh, we are here, t- and she's going to join us for this discussion about this here book. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. I I, I really do appreciate uh I'm getting a lot of feedback. I really do appreciate you doing this, Ivy. Um, I did sort of throw it on you there at the last minute, but you got it read. And I, I don't know. I felt like our discussion about this was very interesting. And I definitely am uh, glad to have you in to talk about this. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it'll be fun. Spontaneity is not usually my game, but I happen to be available and interested. So it'll be cool. Okay. What do you guys want to, where, where, where do you want to start? I think is a good question. I really liked this. I'll say that. I I enjoyed it a lot as well. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, as I'm I'm becoming a huge fanboy for Faith Aaron Hicks. Um, I don't know. Like it's she. I think she is a very strong storyteller, and her art is. There's a lot of people that get me excited, but. At this stage of my life, I shouldn't be seeing people and being like, I just want to straight up rip off everything this person does. That's that's the kind of artist that Faith Aaron Hicks is. That I'm like, I want to steal everything that she does and make it my own. I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I should really, I, I really shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> I you, you liked it? I did. Um, I am not familiar with her other work. So this was my first exposure. I was impressed. Um, I, I, I agree with Eric that she is a good storyteller. Um, and just visually, this isn't really my, my game. I'm not a comic artist, but, uh, you know, I can still see kind of, uh, some things that I admired about, uh, there was a good balance between backgrounds and characters. Usually you can kind of tell which one of those two things the artist likes doing. And in this case, it looked like she was comfortable with both. And uh, the the detail in the backgrounds and the the lush um, descriptions of uh, you know what you see, uh, all the bricks, all the stones in the ground, and everything is not 
the only thing this person can do. She can also do evocative facial expressions and knows how to draw action, which sometimes I have trouble following inside of comics. Like if somebody skips too many steps in a fight, then I don't really understand what's going on, but I never lost her. So I thought that it was a, it was, it was strong in several ways that I, I've seen other people fall short of that. Absolutely. She's a Eisner winning artist for a reason. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's won an Eisner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she has. She's, she is as real as it gets. <laughs> yeah. I, her talking about drawing, uh, tiled roofs for like years mm-hmm. on Twitter now. Uh, I understand what she means having read this book. Uh, this is, I mean, I think everything I've read about it so far makes this comparison, but Avatar, The Last yeah. Airbender, huge, like obvious comparison point there. It, it, it's, it's hard to think that she didn't just, you know, just just watch it again one day and be like, I, I want my own avatar. It's almost exactly like it. That was one of the first things that Ivy said when I showed her the book. She's like, why is Sokka on the front? <laughs> well, I was kidding, but, you know. And there's also the fact that it has a quote from one of the creators mm-hmm. right on the front cover. So that's prominent there. There, You're, you're not going to avoid making that comparison, so why not embrace it? Oh, yeah. I... I I don't know. Good thing to be compared to. Definitely so, as it's um, it's it's really, really, truly excellent. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge fan. You've still not watched it, have you, uh, 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 Robbie? I've seen the first season. Okay, I didn't realize you had gotten that far. Mm. Not, I, you know, I'll finish it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually we all grow old and die. <laughs> I'm not gonna die, Eric. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm gonna be immortal. All right. Well. Good that's luck my, with that. That's my plan. Uh, I don't know where to... There's a lot of... I don't know. There's a lot of depth. That, I don't know when you wanted to broach the the mm-hmm. appropriation thing. I think that, you, that it's... Since we're already talking about Avatar, it seems like... I don't know. It It is kind of what has brought us to this point. So I don't see why we shouldn't just sort of dive right in. Okay. Do you want me to, do you want me to sort of set that up? Sure. That... Um, I, I'm sure we would have read this eventually because it's Faith Aaron Hicks. She's an important creator. Um, we had seen this book tease so much while she was working on it. Uh, but what really threw me was I was reading uh, a, a sort of Twitter rant by uh, Trungles on Twitter. At Trungles. I forget his actual name, but it doesn't really matter. He's a fabulous gay Asian artist. Only bringing that up for the relevance of, uh, you know, the Twitter rant, but it, uh, it really bothered him. And he said that he, it, you know, he had a lot of complicated feelings about the story. He enjoyed it on some levels, but felt it was culturally appropriative. And, um, being such a huge fanboy for Faith Aaron Hicks, it really bothered me that something that she's done uh, could be described that way, and I wanted to read it for myself and see how I felt about it, and that's really what's got us here. Yeah, I'm. I don't. I I don't, I don't know how I I want to be sensitive, mm-hmm. you know, to 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 people when they call, like. I don't think he just did that on an yes. impulse or a whim. I, I, I yeah, he he seemed to be very well reasoned. I can't find his actual name. I'm looking at his website. It doesn't actually. I exist. swear I've seen it somewhere. It's Jeremy something. 
I don't really remember. Okay. It, uh, it doesn't really matter. It, it's entirely possible he's not published it and I'm making up a name. <laughs> but I, I just, there's nothing about this book that immediately like stands out in my mind as insensitive or mm-hmm. like it certainly like it's, it takes place in a fictional place. You, you know, it is certainly, I'm sure she used, uh, she has mentioned, you know, you know, using Chinese architecture mm-hmm. as a guide to designing this location. Uh, I don't, they don't, all the ethnicities in this city, in the nameless city, are all made up. They're, they're all yes. fictional as well. Um, and the point of the book in a lot of ways is, you know, how colonialism affects mm-hmm. certain places and how complicated a thing that is. And how it made me think, I think that noise is like an echo or something. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> it's, just, really, it's really strange. I'll edit it out. Uh, but it, it made me think of like, as I've been, after I read it and finished it, it made me think of like, the, you know, Israel and Pal- Palestine thing where it's, you know, these two groups are trying to control, they want control of the same land and it's incredibly complicated and you can't say that one group is has a more right to it than another and even on top of that the actual reality of the situation like the the book really like there's these three warring cities or nations or in that are constantly battling over the city because it is on a important trade route you control the city you can control that and then you have on top of that the actual indigent people of the city who are the worst the worst of all all groups because they have been subject to the rule of various nations over the years and they're kind of the the low man on the totem pole and that the book largely is concerned about like the the rulers of this land and how do you, like there's people who are very you know there's the the the, the great general who has control basically controlling city since they conquered it how long has been 30 years yeah yeah and and you know, they and they go back and forth about do they need to be strong militarily or should they try and compromise because it's inevitable that they'll lose control of this city and if they have some sort of peaceful uh rule that is shared with everyone then they will always have at least some say in how the city is ruled and how their nations interact so when you say that this is culturally appropriative, I'm like, it, it's hard for me to parse because mm-hmm. it is not like the book is unaware of the, of all that stuff, I guess. Yeah. I mean, even if it's written with a lot of sensitivity, I think kind of the place that I got to, and I don't mean this in any sort of criticism of, uh, of Mr. Trungles is it, you know, that it, it feels like he's saying, well, here's this product that's based on my heritage and someone else is cashing in on it. And I mean, I think he's got a lot of complicated feelings about it. And I don't know, even if we as privileged people in society can look at this and say, well, that's not appropriate. What did it really doesn't get to be our decision? Um, I don't know. There's there's always going to be someone that's going to look at something and say that that's appropriation. You that's know? right. Yeah. I mean, he's th- – th- this is this is kind of what we were talking about the other day, wasn't it? 
that's about the place that we got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think even, I don't know, you, you can, you can be as careful and cautious and sensitive as is humanly possible when you're creating uh, a, a work of fiction or a television show like Avatar and someone is still going to look at it and, you know, it's, it's going to make them uncomfortable and they're going to say, well, you can't do that. I guess the question is, is this person saying that she should not have made it or is he saying that bigger companies should be uh, deliberately trying to get Asian voices into the mix, making fiction and making comics about Asian populations and, you know, Asian based stories. Who's, who is this criticism really leveled at? Because for the most part, I uh, have seen say people of color talking about white authors writing characters of color. They, for the most part, seem to want us to do so. They do mm-hmm. want people of color to be in the stories, to be at the front, to be at the helm of some stories, to never feel like we can't or shouldn't out of fear that someone's going to tell us we're doing it wrong. But we also don't have just a free, uh, just complete freedom to mm-hmm. do it however we want. You mm-hmm. know, you, you do want to keep in mind that you want you never of course want to include the the stereotypical stuff and uh, you always want to listen to the people who are criticizing you saying you know what they what they're uncomfortable with you don't get to decide that this is this is not actually doing this damage when they say it is doing this damage um but that's not a reason for uh white artists to not put characters of color into their work. I don't think that that's what they want. And I'm, that's definitely not what uh, he was saying in his criticism. Um, that's good. That he was, I think he was very frustrated for the, the lack of opportunity that he and uh, many other Asian artists were, were running into. Yes. And at the same time that there's like a lot of loud voices saying, oh, how wonderful and how progressive. And how fantastic that she's created this thing with this 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 all Asian cast and and you know it's 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 so wonderful um, when he's saying well, no it's it's it could be many things but it's it's not necessarily that and I I mean I can see eye to eye with that sure it's 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 sensible to say you know you don't need to you shouldn't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Absolutely. For 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 doing something like this, for saying, well, I'm going to write a story about an all Asian cast or put a, a, an, an Asian female character in the front and center of the story or, you know, whatever. Like it, it's not necessarily I mean, it's it can be a net positive thing, but it doesn't mean you need to be like, oh, good for me. Gold star. Um, I fixed racism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now it's time for lunch. Uh, um, it, well, we're unfortunately in a situation where the white privilege is still very much a thing. White creators, even if you don't see that they're white while they're doing their work, are still offered opportunities that mm-hmm. the rest of the world is not. And I'm sure that that's part of where that frustration comes from is like, if these stories actually are wanted by mainstream audiences, then why are we still not the ones telling them? 
Um, so, you know, I mean, as an example, I remember seeing all kinds of noise about a male author doing such a great job writing a female protagonist that people, like you said, were, were breaking their arms, patting themselves on the back for appreciating this <laughs> female character written by a male author. Right. And um, it's like, well, then, but why is it that some of those same people are looking at female authored works and saying, those are not relevant to me. Those are lady things. And they don't write what I want to read. I only want to read about a woman if it's a man writing it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I can certainly see that. But I'm never going to say to a man, you shouldn't write women. Mm -hmm. What I would say to a man is, number one, talk to women. And number two, read things and consume things by women. So you understand what kind of stories they tell and how they tell them. So that you won't screw up. And you still probably will, but you know, you should seek out test readers. That's what, that's what, uh, you know, I've had to do as an author myself, you know, that when I'm talking about or representing or even mentioning people who are not me, I want to make sure I did it right. So I'm going to ask multiple examples from those demographics. What do you think of this? If I'm writing from a male perspective, I may ask my male audience members, can you pay special attention to if anything ever feels like I'm phoning it in or especially if I'm misrepresenting your gender, tell me so, cause I don't want to do it wrong. It's complicated. Yeah. Humans it's are... always going to be complicated. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Humans are messy. We are. We're pretty messy. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting that the story is not um, the story itself does discuss oppression it does discuss mm -hmm. one group uh marginalizing another and both of those groups both the oppressed and the oppressor have crappy opinions about each other it's not a, a any kind of big bad that somebody has to overthrow it's kind of a, a very complicated situation and that is not inherently like an ancient china thing or an an asian story it doesn't feel to me like a white person tried to tell an inherently Asian story and kind of hijacked it. But, you know, again, I'm not an Asian person who can say that feels like that person is trying to do that, but that's just kind of how I thought of it. And, um, but then, you know, of course the, the, the people in it being clearly having an Asian aesthetic, having various types of uh, um, Asian based uh, character designs, it seems, um, and definitely the architecture and the uh, inspiration of the, of the setting is based on uh, fantasy Asia. <laughs> right. So, um, so I, that could be what he's responding to. That, uh, um, But I was pleasantly surprised to not see any, like, Asian mysticism being invoked. You know what I mean? Yes, the ancient Chinese secret. I, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not just chock full of gross Orientalism. Right. It's not full of those kinds of tropes, which... I was kind of expecting when you told me that you saw this person talk about uh, the criticism on Twitter, I was kind of expecting to at least see a little bit more stuff to dig into. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm still not going to dismiss his perspective, but uh, I would also say it's definitely, I've definitely seen way, 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 way worse by white authors who think that they're doing something special writing Asian characters. We've we have read worse for this podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I think Roberto knows exactly what I'm referring to. <laughs> tell he? me, make sure I'm I I'm I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not positive. 
It's been a long time since we've read it. Was it? Is it the? Is it start with an H? Uh, yes, it does. Okay, good. <laughs> we're we're thinking of the same. Habibi, I believe, is what. You we're... know, I was gonna say, why are we dancing around Habibi? I'm just I'm just making sure that it's the same thing. Yeah, I we, we said we said a lot of we we dropped the Orientalism. We we said that many times in that discussion. I see. Yeah. What did we did we read Persepolis before or after that? I don't remember. Immediately after. Immediately after we had to cleanse our palates. Yes. Huh. It, it. I don't know. It's not like it's a bad book, but it's exactly what you just described. It's it's white guy that's like interested in a culture, like I don't know, doing this thing and then patting himself on the back for you know, look look how interested I am in the Middle East. I'm such a good person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a little. It's a little bit icky. And they kind of buffet style it, like I'm gonna take yeah. oh, this. Yeah. I'm gonna take this inspiration and that story and that character and that legend, and I'm gonna mix it all up and be like, "Look what I did." Are you sure you haven't read Habibi? I'm not. <laughs> you just described it like perfectly. You just oh. described all 1,200 pages of that book. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking of a. Uh, oddly enough, this is somewhat related. The uh, the Avatar comics mm-hmm. was it in the comics um, that um, the uh, the main character Aang is like he's an airbender, and then he finds out that there are these air dedicants that they can't be airbenders. They can't actually be airbenders because they don't have the the superpower. But they got <laughs> the airbender tattoos, and he was really pissed off when he found mm-hmm. that out. You know, and this is an interesting way of the comic showing cultural appropriation, and that he was happy about it when they were just enthusiasts. But then when he realized they actually put the sacred tattoos of his group onto their bodies when they have not achieved what those tattoos mean to him and people like him. He, you know, the character had this very big, like, uh, breakdown over it. He was very, very upset that, and they didn't understand the characters don't understand because they're like, what's wrong with appreciating this? But he's like, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) That's what's wrong with it. Um, And uh, just from my kind of limited perspective, I would say that this is, this book was the the one of the better examples I've seen of doing it right. But, you know, again, I'm not really the person to make the final determination on that. Yeah. Here's here's a question that's been rolling around in my in my head. Do you think that cultural appropriation is, first of all, kind of inevitable given, you know, blending of different cultures and you know, like sharing of storytelling and things like this, or do you think that inevitable or do you think that it is, is it like a gateway to actually doing it right? Is it something that actually has to come first? Is that a question for me? <laughs> it's a question for anyone. Both of you can, can answer that. I, I, uh, I, I, I really wonder how I feel about this. I mean, I have stuff to say, but, but I don't want to be the only one who. Uh, oh no, no, you're 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 here to be part of the discussion. It's it's absolutely fine. If you want to talk for forty minutes about that, <laughs> I mean, I can I can I can go first, and if you have something to say too. No, no, it'll be perfectly okay. Uh, well, I, you, go, you can go okay. ahead, Ivy. I think it's a mixture, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as we evolve as a species, and especially with the sort of multiculturalism and global consciousness of what's going on in other parts of the world, we are definitely inevitably going to uh, sort of steal things from each other. We're the ultimate thieves as human beings. We were like, that looks fun. I'm going to do it too. Um, But uh, 
I think that a good guideline would be, am I taking something and repurposing it uh, while it's still being used as a symbol of oppression for someone like say the, the, the raging controversy over can white people have locks, you know, like dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you can still see all the time. You can see that when black people have dreadlocks, people make assumptions about it. They say, you know, oh, your hair is dirty or you're a thug or, you know, it has a negative connotation. But a lot of times if a white person does it, especially if they're a, a, a star, they're doing it for fashion, um, it is often considered to be, uh, you know, that's appropriative because they're not going to get the same kind of crap that a black person with locks will will get. Um, so uh, same thing with the uh, appropriating things from Indian cultures like the bindi and you know for people who get called a dot head or whatever it's a it's a it's a still a symbol of uh, oppression um that you know that if you're an if you're an Indian person you're a person of Indian descent and you have that and people give you crap about it and mark you as other because you wear that and that's part of your culture uh but then a white person just kind of chooses to make that a fashion choice it both disrespects it and uh disregards all the bad stuff that comes with with that so um uh you know and of course all the stuff with the um, you know headdresses and stuff from the mm-hmm. first nations that that um, that, just... I, I get sick every time I see that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I swear to, it's like it. It's like it's getting worse. It is. It's I like think... more and more people are deciding it's okay. Let me just let me put a skull. Like literally, let me make a T-shirt with a skull and an Indian headdress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what the hell's wrong with people? I don't know. I've seen committed genocide against them. Almighty. On a blog, I saw a good description of like, you know, well, what do you want? Like, why, if you don't want us to use your symbols and stuff, then why are they being sold and stuff? And it's just like, look, you can appreciate the cultures and the crafts of somebody who isn't your group, but number one, buy them from us. And number two, don't use them for stuff that you're not supposed to use them for, you know, just uh, understand what you're buying. I mean, you don't have to write an essay on it. You don't have to write a thesis on it or whatever. But, you know, just basic respect for whatever you think is neat, um, you know, and don't claim it as yours. I'm I'm totally going to get a Cleveland Caucasian shirt. (laughs) You've seen that, haven't you, Robbie? Yes. Yeah, I saw it the first time it happened. Then I saw when it first happened, then I saw the backlash to that. And then I saw the backlash to the backlash. And then the backlash (laughs) to the backlash to the backlash. And then... (laughs) And then it, people forgot about it. So, but no, that's it. it I'm, 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 uh, I'm have my toes dipped into sports Twitter. So I get uh, a lot of the, the problems with the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Redskins and the, mm-hmm. they're, they're, those, it won't be, you know, within, I don't know. The problem with the Redskins is that the owner is a, a, a rich psychopath. So he's, uh, He's very stubborn. I don't know if he'll change it eventually, but uh, there's many people. There's a groundswell of people. There's some people who refuse to call it. They'll call it the Washington football team. You know, they won't call it the Washington Redskins. But I, I, I mean, I agree with what Ivy said that the it, it's good that people who have privilege and are being seen are like are having characters that are different ethnicities and, and different cultures. Uh, but 
there is a very fine line, which I don't think anyone actually, that is different for a lot of people. We, like, I don't think any of us have a a big problem with this book, but, uh, uh, at Trungles did. And, you know, we can't say that he doesn't have a problem with it and that there isn't a problem for him with it. Uh, so that it's going to be a very slow and gradual, it has gotten better. It's still not good. Uh, it it is just going to, we slowly, gradually understand what is and is what is good and what is bad. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say it isn't allowed because you can make whatever you want, uh, but be you be prepared for it to be bad or for many people to be upset because you did something dumb. Uh no one no one cared about that Rob Liefeld comic. <laughs> no one did. Be- and I think that is even I, I mean like you say that but I think cultural relevance if something is so bad that people just immediately dismiss it, like I think Rob that that Rob Liefeld comic grid, which is the one of the worst things we've ever discussed about mm-hmm. on this podcast, is like the fact that it doesn't even come up is because it's not it's so culturally irrelevant that people just dismiss it out of hand. Like no one, like the only people reading that are people that aren't going to be you know actually taking in commentary on any kind of critical level. It's 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 the it's the white power hate comic zine that's xeroxed and left in a in a Motel Six bathroom. Exactly. Like yeah, it, it, if it's <laughs> just absolutely. Oh my god, that Rob Liefeld comic. Yes, high art is how I would describe it. Uh, it is it, it you know it as long as it is it is out there, but then immediately forgotten or not look like no one's reading it. If, if there is a comic that is you know I think that was. Why Habibi is like such a good, uh, uh, I don't know, analog for this is because that book was culturally relevant and still, and, and still is to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And that having discussion about that book and this book, it, it, just having the conversation about it, it is good. Like it, it's, it, I don't know. It, you can't always see it when you look at it. It's just, you have to, like, I use, that's why I'm like coming to this. I'm like, it didn't set off, this book did not set off any alarms in my head. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. there, the, the, I mean, the largest discussion about Orientalism I've been seeing is about the Iron Fist TV show and, or, and, and the Doctor Strange movie about how, yes. you know, they changed Ancient One is now a white woman, uh, or Iron Fist is still a white guy going to seek the ancient Chinese secret for, mm-hmm. you know, whatever purpose. Like, I even saw a person, talking about how Doctor Strange is they took out Tibet from the Doctor Strange mythos because they didn't because Marvel wants to avoid the you know the the inherent controversy about uh the yeah. you know about Tibet and so and there's people who are Tibetan on I I saw them online on and they were very upset that they you know this is by you know, it's erasure you know uh this this well, I mean, I think that you that's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, and maybe that's what you're driving at. I mean, I was in, in just a few moments ago in preparation for this conversation, uh, Trungles was also talking about exactly what you're talking, wh- wh- exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, Asia's not a place, it's a place where or it's, it's, it's where white people go to get their shit together. <laughs> I mean, exactly what happens in 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 Batman, in Doctor Strange, uh, also in Iron Fist. It's it's, but I mean, I, I think it's it. I don't know. It makes sense to make it not in Tibet and make it not that 
beat up old let me travels in the orient i think it's it's you still know. an asian country that i mean it's it's not that it's not tibet it's that the fact they chose a they just went like i think fictionalized mm-hmm. i'm not positive because you know we, there's only been like a teaser trailer out but uh like i think they went with like a fictionalized asian locale mm-hmm. uh that's in our world but not really like you know they they've done that multiple they they did that with the avengers 2 with a fictional eastern european country and now they you know they I don't know. Marvel movies are basically like, what's the simplest way we can go? If we don't have Tibet, we don't have to worry about all of those issues. So let's just cut it out. Who cares about everything else? Um, I don't know. I mean, is there really any other way to tell the story? I mean, how how do you really improve that? I mean, I guess you don't put it in Asia. But it, I mean, the whole the whole trope is he's going to this weird exotic land that people don't understand. I mean, you and, could and match and and the magic happens. Yeah, well, they're you know he's seeking the ancient one who. Yes. If you're not gonna make the person Asian, mm-hmm. you don't. They don't have to be in Asia anywhere. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I don't. We're. Uh, I actually want to talk about the characters in this book. Yeah, it's 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 worth it's definitely worth discussing. I don't like I kind of we I think like the perspective you know we are basically following the 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 Kai, the Kai Kaido is his actual name and he he's goes Kaido, Kaido and uh, him as a perspective into the, this world I think is uh, for the most part yeah he's he's it seems like there were a few cutaways but it was he was the primary uh, perspective character. Yeah, he's th- and he's a newcomer to this city, just like uh, we are, and so oh, yeah. we're allowed to be. He's allowed to be dumb and not know perspective and not know things. Um, I, do do you guys like this? I I feel like the city is also a character in this book, and I it, it's certainly. Um, I mean, it's certainly often discussed, and it's an important <laughs> part of uh, you know every conversation. Mm important plot points setting is more alive than most mm-hmm. most uh stories bother to make them yes i i saw speaking of twitter i saw people con- uh, some artists con- have a conversation about that drawing backgrounds that if you make the, the setting a, a person as well you'll find then much easier to uh like because you're giving them personality with every background mm-hmm. you're drawing um and that this it is when you know, Kai gets lost in the city early on. You can understand why it is labyrinthine and and, mm-hmm. uh, and and complicated. And I think that you know it's a good representation for the issues surrounding the city. You know, it, it, it's hard to understand how to act to different groups, people. Right. I, I I I really I wonder if the the whole her whole purpose. You know, what sparked this was just an interest in this kind of architecture possible um, knowing 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 how she just laboriously draws these like all these damn bricks <laughs> and tiles oh my god so many bricks and tiles mm-hmm. um i don't know it it's it's clear there's some love there and i really wonder if she's just like i want to create a story where i get to draw all this stuff well i, I mean i'm reading up on it she did she's mentioned there's character designs back as far as 2007 that's uh that's actually that's dedication. I guess that's. I mean, it, hell, what what comic project isn't like that? Yeah. Feral Dalrymple with his three hundred um, sketchbook pages of crazy garbage. 
and then, and then they just take it all and put it in a book together. Well, oh, man. I mean, you guys both mentioned about how good the storytelling in this is. And you mentioned Feral Dalrymple is like the opposite almost is like he's he is he is um he really is kind of the opposite of that. Not that I mean he is he is an artist first and foremost and he I'm 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 glad he is part of this, you know, creator owned ecosystem. I'm glad that people like Feral Dalrymple exist. I I like looking at his comics and that's about it. No <laughs> the story in this is is extremely well laid out extremely well told uh both you know both in the like the dialogue and in visually it it is very clear and concise and Mm -hmm. and she has mentioned that she had wanted to do a larger scope kind of story earlier in you know in this book's life but i feel like the kind of relatively small focus with a small amount of intrigue with, you know, the extraneous supporting characters that aren't either Kai or Rat. Um, it, I, I think that's a, she made a wise choice in doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's starting from the working in, working from the inside out, I think is always a, like, I, I'm more interested in this place because I am invested in this Kai and Rat story. And it, like the, the, the way that they're running lessons together end up tying back together at the end of the story. Like, it's, like, a very small thing that just, it... It's almost like she thought about this. I know, exactly. There's, like, it... This this book has a lot of careful... It's, like, it seems very carefully designed. Uh, I, I have a, a sort of mixed feelings about that, because I saw that, too. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I like when something feels like it makes sense in the context, but I don't like it when I feel like it was set up uh, with intent to like lead you sp- to a specific thing. So, you know, on the one hand, I really like that these characters sort of accidentally started relating to each other because they were both running around the city. Um, but I, I don't like stuff like, um, you remember when uh, Kai could not make that jump and Rat mm-hmm. gave an explanation of how to do it. And that then that specific incident became vital in the climax of the book that he had to make that jump and that kind of felt written to me um it was still satisfying but you know it felt like a little tropey to me Mm -hmm. and that's the only there's a few things like that throughout this story that uh i mean it, it kind of felt like okay i've seen other stories do this and i didn't see it go anywhere unexpected with those specific things there was enough other innovative stuff that I that I liked that I hadn't seen before that I didn't care that much about those, but I did see those from time to time. Um, so that's like some gentle criticism I would give for that. It's a little, it's a little Danielle son doing the uh, doing the crane kick. <laughs> it, it, it's it's yeah, it's been done. I it didn't. I I just sort of passed right by it. You know, right. it's it, it's I don't know. Is it ever really going to be that that oh man he did it moment because you it's kind of a foregone conclusion you know when you see the shape of this like oh yeah he's gonna he's gonna make that jump they're gonna call back to it but it's still i mean it's it's not like it felt bad it's just it's just kind of you can see the shape the story's going and it's like well how do you not do that well i still would have laughed my butt off if he fell on his head and he missed (laughs) everything up i mean that would have really surprised me and i love when stories do that 
not just by inverting what you expect to happen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if they do what you expect it to happen and they do it in a a way that still surprises you. So I was kind of expecting more of those choreographed things to end up a little differently and they they really didn't. Uh, But at the same time, I appreciate like the complexity of the interactions between characters where you don't have anybody that's portrayed as this is mm-hmm. bad, this is good. Uh, yeah. And he say, you know, Rat is always talking about, oh, I'm, I've, I live in this city and you can't run like me unless you have grown up in the city. That kind of says a lot about what her experience is without having too many words on it. But then you also have like, is it his dad who was all like, I was born here and I'm going to be the first who's mm-hmm. actually born in the city, he also thinks of himself as a native and in a completely different yes. way. And I really like the the subtlety of that because it's almost diametrically opposed. And I really like that both of them feel like they have a claim, like I'm a real resident of this place. Mm-hmm. Was, they, it, <laughs> but they're on opposite sides, kind of. Yeah, that was the, uh, the, the, the teacher. The, right. It was uh, the, the son the bodyguard. The son of the general. The That's right. general of blades. Yeah. Which is, um, I, I'm, I really like that. I like him. He's, yeah, he was an interesting character. I, was... I, it, the fact that he has such an imposing name and yet he, when he finds children trespassing in his private room, his first reaction is to just talk to them. Oh yeah. No, I loved that scene with the, yeah, with that's the a general. great scene. It was a, no, it was delight. It was one of my favorite in the whole book. I liked that scene and I really liked, uh, uh, all the scenes with the monk. Yeah, that, that oh, part that was. A good was too. Oh yeah, that was really, really remarkable. Yeah, don't get her killed with these st- stolen soldier boots. <laughs> no, yes, and him in yes. this, him in the sewer with uh, Kai when they're looking for Rat. Uh, oh. I re- I really enjoyed that because you know this book hints at you know it, like its title is the Nameless City and it is largely concerned about character. And, you know, I, we have already talked about how the city is sort of a character, but the fact that whenever you get peeks at what, like, the true nature of the history of this place, and that, like, I think it ties in the general theme of the book is the, like, you know, perspective is everything. And, you know, I just mentioned the fact that two people both born in the city both want to, you know, have claims to it in completely mm-hmm. different ways. And the fact that the monk, you know, the Kai is like, well, didn't, you know, when they conquered the city, didn't, you know, gen- the general blades, you know, it was a very heroic victory and not, and, and the monk's like, no, no, they snuck in through the sewers and, you know, that it was, it was not heroic. They, they did what they had to do to actually take it. But, you know, you get little bits of that here and there, um, about the city in general. And every single time you get that, you know, I, I left me wanting more and more and more. I was, yep. I was like, oh, there's some holes in your propaganda, boy. <laughs> I, I, do you guys, you think this book, like, I, it has already been announced that this is going to be a trilogy. Um, do you guys feel like it suffers at all because of the fact that it is a first part of a story? I don't. Yeah, I think it, 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 it works just the, as a thing arc. out of itself. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I just think the story arc is good. I think they did a, uh, she did the smart thing, uh, having enough groundwork laid for us to care about a climax and find a satisfying ending before pausing it at a satisfactory place. It, it, I, it felt like a new hope to me, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, the ending of new hope is fine to me. Like, and it was, it felt like this, it, knowing that it's a trilogy, I 
I think the ending of this book is is very good. Mm-hmm. But it there was never a part two. I think I'd be dissatisfied. Right. It it in of itself is kind of it does feel like not enough time with the characters in this world. But that's a, not a bad thing necessarily. No, when you go, no. oh, I want more. Give me. I want all right. these, these characters are really neat and interesting, and there's a lot of depth and nuance to their relationships. Um, like I want to know more about the the bodyguard lady. I want to know more about that monk. I want to know more about the general blades. I like. I want more time with them. Um, so when we don't get it, I'm not, you know, it when, oh, there's not enough of that in this book where I can't, you know, she is one person. She cannot, you know, make infinite comics. <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed in her. <laughs> yeah. She drew 270 pages last year. She needs to stop sleeping. That's I think the only solution. <laughs> Pretty sure she's not doing a lot of it already. <laughs> yeah. I think every time I see her on her Twitter, it's just, Hey, I, I did four pages today. Then I threw up blood and passed out for 20 minutes. It's the longest I've slept in a week. She didn't say. I, that was an embellishment. Oh, really? I thought you were reading yeah. straight from her Twitter account. I, 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 <laughs> her, her Twitter does. I mean, you remember when she won the Eisner. Mm, you um, might, yeah. but it's, it's one of my favorite stories ever that she's tweeting that she goes up. Like, they announce her name that she's won the Eisner. And she goes up, and instead of giving her her speech, she just, like, cries for five minutes. And then she goes and has breakfast buffet. <laughs> it's like I mean, the best thing ever. If I went, if I won an Eisner, I think. Yeah, just, like, cry in front of a microphone. <laughs> and then, well, then delicious food in an unlimited amount. She, she tweeted a mighty plate of eggs. It was, um... Yeah, it was it was impressive. What I this is I I'm like she's mentioned in interviews how this book you know she was mindful of the fact that children would be reading it mm-hmm. or or you know you know I and her a lot of her books are you know all ages books um and yeah I feel like it does an excellent job at being a quote unquote all ages book you know I, it yeah. it is approachable. Uh, you know, if you were, a, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know about an age, but you know, a child could read this book and get a lot out of it. Yeah, and, it, it it takes a lot of very complicated ideas about a very messy world and distills them in uh, you know, very very digestible ways. You know, I I I think a a fairly young reader, you know, like a a tween or teen, could read this and it would not be a problem. And if they don't get it, they can still enjoy like the yeah. interactions between the characters, even if they don't get all the subtext. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably the kind of book that you know a, ch- a child could read and like, revisit it when they're in their early twenties or late twenties, and it's a completely new, a completely new experience for them. Yeah, the the book has not changed, but you have. Mm-hmm. Something for everyone. Except yeah. Trungles. Mm. Well, he said that he liked it, right? Like, I imagine he, I imagine he liked it on some well, level. I, I, from, uh, like reading between the lines, I think that he recognizes the quality of the work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Faith Aaron Hicks is an excellent artist and writer. You know, and he just has. It's just, you know, as an Asian person, he pro- like he mentioned. Like, if you go look through that thread, there's lots of people, you know, other Asian people who are commiserating with his his feelings about how they 
don't get any opportunities. And then you have this white person who is, you know, ostensibly using uh, Asian culture to write in her story. And it is, you know, I'm assuming going to be very successful. At least it's, it seems to be already doing very well. Uh, Very, very well for comic book standards. Yes. But I mean, a book like this will in the long run, could do better than most superhero Mm -hmm. comic books because like I, you know, the, the Raina Telgemeier story of how, how Scholastic is now number one in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like trade paperback sales basically. Oh, yeah. On the back of Raina Telgemeier, like selling millions of her books to children, you know, in places that comic book stores aren't, you know, cause a kid can go to Walmart and buy one of Raina Telgemeier's books. They cannot necessarily buy a Flash comic or whatever. Um, and this book I feel like has the same kind of appeal, you know, it is, and like Avatar, Again, is an easy comparison. You know, it's a, a an all ages kind of story where you know every adult I know who's who has seen it loves it, but there's also many children who really enjoy it, and you know, it's doesn't make it any less I don't know valid as a piece of art. Yeah. Hmm. So the guy I haven't read the Twitter thread, but the guy who is upset about it is mostly focusing on lack of opportunity for people like him and not so much the content specifically of this book. It's I don't know. I don't again, I don't want to try and speak for him. That just it seems to be a driving point in that fact that, you know, if he made this exact same piece of art, it wouldn't get the same kind of traction. Uh, I mean, I I think he's right. Well, no, he <laughs> but... is. Oh, oh, he's un. Uh, I I am not arguing. He's, he is. He's undoubtedly also right. He's oh, also a much lesser known creator as well. He's kind of at the beginning of his career, and yeah. Well, I mean, Faith Aaron Hicks has. I mean, she has earned it. She's she. This is not the like first. This is this is not out of nowhere. No, she right. had already won an Eisner before this. So I mean. Yes. It's... Yeah, so there's not really much of a comparison there as far as like, oh, like what opportunities she gets and what opportunities he gets. But like as a um, an overall trend in who gets what kind of opportunities, uh, you know, of course, he has a point. Um, and I, I think that uh, maybe what I've seen is like with the Avatar creators, they're they're white guys, uh, but they went out of their way to make sure that they included a lot of perspective from people who were closer to the source material than they were. Um, and I don't know, I guess it's kind of the, the, the equivalent of instead of trying to make your own, like, look at me, I made a native American craft. Like you buy one from people who know how to make it and then you put it in your house, you know? And, uh, you know, that's, I guess the best way to display that. But, um, I think like I've heard, I heard an interesting story. This may sound maybe a little bit like a digression, but let me see if I can tell this in a concise way. There was a a story I read where a a woman who she was trying to go to the grocery store and she was a black woman, but she had a white passing half sister or sister-in-law or something. So it's two black women going shopping at a store and they're related but one of them passes for white. So the black woman goes uh, goes second and her sister goes first. White looking lady wrote a check, no problem. And then the black woman was told she's not allowed to write a check. 
Um, and she says, okay, why? What is the policy here? She's trying to figure out what really is the problem. Make, or, make the person say something racist if they're going to say something racist. Ultimately, the white sister-in-law comes over and says, I just wrote a check. Why can't she write a check? Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of called out and made clear. Hey, um, this is just on-site prejudice. This is somebody saying a black person can't write a check and a white person can. And they tried to make all kinds of excuses like, oh, well, she's from, she, she's from in town. I know her. It's like, you know, these people are related. She knows she's not from in town. So, you know, uh, but the bottom line here was this is how to use white privilege. When you see something crappy happening to somebody who is uh, a marginalized person, you can speak up for it and use your white privilege against another white person who will be more likely to listen to you than to them. And that's like the the only real way that we could insert ourselves into that kind of conversation. Um, not talking over, but um, speaking, you know, with their perspectives in mind from, you know, uh, from listening to them. And uh, I guess that that's kind of what creators who are in a privileged position can do is they can say, well, I got this job possibly with a lot of assistance from my various privileges. And what I'm going to do with that power is I'm going to include a lot of marginalized people informing my um, my perspective and also doing their own work through me. So mm -hmm. I think that that's kind of what I've seen in the best cartoons and comics and stuff that feature um, the creations of marginalized people is that um, you know, people, people who are white are not being asked to stop making stories about them, but they're being asked to include authentic perspectives from people who do live that. That was a rant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely thinking a, a lot of the same thing. And I think that's what I was driving at with the whole idea of, you know, what is the role of appropriation or, you know, whether you call uh, the nameless city appropriation or not. I mean, it is, like you said, I mean, when you, you showcase like an underprivileged person, at least you're on the road to normalizing it. And the more normal it becomes, the more opportunity there is for, it, it just, I don't know, it just makes a lot of sense that the more comfortable dumb white Americans get <laughs> with seeing Asian people or black people or, you know, any person as a main character of a film and they're like okay well this can be for me yes. as well it doesn't have to show uh white man and white lady it, right. it, it, th this can be for me right this doesn't have to be black thing this doesn't have to be asian thing the more yeah. that, that gets put in front of people the more comfortable they are the more it it does sort of progress towards an ecosystem where there's you know a more more representation and not you know there's you know, maybe there won't be like all like 90 percent white male writers rooms in right. in uh, in uh, television shows. I mean, exactly. I mean, yeah. it, it it's I don't know. It's got to change somehow. Yes, it um, should change from both sides. You know, that it should absolutely. change from more more people who uh, you know, are people of color or from marginalized or othered populations being ex 
explicitly recruited for these positions, not not only to give them more opportunities, but because they are legitimately saying things and doing things that are really innovative from the point of view of mainstream cultures like that, that, you know, we who have mostly been fed a diet of mainstream media are going to find really intriguing and fresh and uh, that it can inform both worldviews and just entertainment in ways that people don't even realize they're missing. End rant. <laughs> I'm just letting that echo for a second. Uh, we're... <laughs> Yes, I, I I hate to say we should stop talking about it, but uh, you guys have any like? Is there anything else you actually uh, want to? Any questions or discussion you guys think we haven't touched on yet? About the book itself? <laughs> yes, uh, we we could talk about uh, probably talk about the larger issues for a long time. Um, we've but... we, we've solved racism, so we're done. Oh, now. okay, okay, good. It's nice to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a better world out there today. Uh, but yeah, but and uh, Ivy, do you have anything you anything about the book itself that you haven't gotten to say? Mm. Um, actually, this is kind of random, but uh, I noticed that she uses these um, silent panels sometimes, um, and that she uses them very skillfully. Like that, she knows when to have the dialogue just shut off for a second and just look at a facial reaction or mm-hmm. zoom in on somebody's body language or something that you can, you can just observe it for yourself and you don't have to be lectured about what's going on. And I, I really liked that. I thought that that was a, a very good balance of speaking and action and silent panels. I think interestingly enough, um, that is a, a bit of storytelling that most people will point to manga as the inspiration for that oh. as a lot of uh, Western comics tend to it, like almost every panel, at least, you know, maybe you look at the seventies, eighties before there was this influx of uh, uh, manga on it that, you know, a, a manga will, it'll, it'll look at a building and it'll set the scene and it'll show the, the wind blowing through the reeds or whatever, you know, it'll take time to do that where, you know, you would just read a, a Chris Claremont page where everyone is like all their thought bubbles are in there and there's literally not a single panel without a character narrating what they're doing. Um, it'd be worse. It could be warrior. It could be warrior. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have you on again to when we do book club for that. Oh, please don't. <laughs> I don't ever but, want to look at it. But I do think that... Um, I don't know. A, a lot of aspects of uh, manga storytelling that are just sort of part of the whole soup of uh, comics and sequential art. And I think you could even make the make the case that that is appropriation. And I think some people do. Well, most people are just like, ah, it's comics. It's it's part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I. I I'll, I, my overall thoughts are this is a really fun uh, and excellent story. Um, I'm already anxious for volume two. I want more of this world. I like it a lot. Uh, it's certainly anyone who likes Avatar. Like yes. you like this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's I'm I'm actually honestly curious if they're going to introduce some sort of magical sort of or or I, I don't like are. like yeah like they mentioned the 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 
whatever culture, the whatever the northern. Yeah, the people who were there before, like they had a yeah. way to carve through mountains. How you know? I even am not totally sure. There's not going to be some sort of long, some sort of technology that is actually the source mm. of this, and not necessarily magic. Like I think it's been specified somewhere, though, hasn't it? Like that this is a fantasy world. Or are they just saying that it's a fantasy world because it's not really ancient China? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think it's been. I can't actually think of it ex- precisely how if it's been laid out. I don't know. It's just in me to want like some weird ancient technology to be the actual reason. I always find that more yeah. interesting than just hey, we found magic. But uh, yeah, I I hope it turns out that it was hobbits. I was actually thinking more like dwarves. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they were known for the, the Earth. For digging holes in the sky. Yeah, yes. exactly. They were really good at that. But we'll see. Also <laughs> also drinking. And beards. Yeah, and beards. And They're good at beards. They are good at plus. beards. They're good at beards. Beard experts. Yes. Nat- natural natural bonus plus one to beard. Racial bonus. Beard <laughs> beard spurts? Mm-hmm. They're beards. <laughs> beard. What a, what a wonderful note to end the conversation <laughs> on. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Ivy. Yeah. If is there anything you'd like to plug? Any you want people, our listeners, to look at things? Mm, I'm kind of a crappy artist, but I have a couple of web comics. If you ever want to look up my crap, um, <laughs> they 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 charm the crap out of me. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've got a I've got a funny strip comic uh, that updates once a month. That is called So You Write, and it's about being a writer. And then I have a weekly comic that's a fantasy story that's drawn in pencil really crappy and um it's called negative one and that's been going for more than 10 years so it's a really long story now um but yeah i'll plug those and uh yeah uh other than that i have also written a book that is out there but it's completely unrelated to the subject matter if you ever want to find my my book it's called the invisible orientation hooray (laughs) it's it it is it is a marvelous book i have read most of it uh it Thank makes you. me very sad it's only because <laughs> i gave it to you for free i i would have i would have bought a copy <laughs> if you did not sure. want to give me one i would have totally no. bought one i'm just busting your balls no no that's that is okay bust away girl <laughs> <laughs> but no it is it is um god almighty the rigor that you bring to, to everything you do it just blows me away Thank you, dear. Because uh, you, I don't know, I, you continually impress me. You really Yay. do. <laughs> so the, the moral of the story here is Ivy rules. It's true. Stop talking mm-hmm. now. Now that we've all. Everybody <laughs> shut up. Podcast <laughs> over. We can end on the high note. <laughs> but, uh, thank you, though, for the compliments. And thank you for joining us, Ivy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on uh, so, folks, that was Nameless City, Volume 1 by Faith Aaron Hicks. Uh, with, uh, with, uh, we are joined by Ivy Decker. We thank Ivy once again for joining us. Uh, you can check her out, swankivy.com. She has links to, like, the hundreds of things that she does online mm-hmm. on her website. She's one of the, one of the most, most content creatingest persons I know. She works very, very hard. Uh, we will not have an episode next week. Uh, but uh, just a, a momentary absence, I assure you. The week after, we will be back, and we will be reading Punisher Max by Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon. The uh, it's twenty two issues, uh, taking kind picking up kind of where uh, Garth Ennis left off in a way, but it kind of 
moves Frank Castle into the Marvel Universe in a way. But we will we'll see. We'll talk about it. Uh, Punisher Max, Jason Aaron, and Steve Dillon in two weeks' time. Uh, with that, we are the Handsome Boys Comics Hour. You can find us at handsomeboyscomicshour.com. Uh, if you like the show, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, all those things that everyone says, but it honestly does help us out a lot. If you do that, we will, are very appreciative. Uh, if you, you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash handsomeboyscomicshour. Uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at HBC Hour, and you can email us at handsomeboyscomics at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MixmasterShiro. That's M-I-X-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-E-R-E-A-L. Eric, where can they find you online? You can see my portfolio by going to freewillunlimited.com. And you can see most of the things I get up to online by going to ericzgoodnight.com, including my Instagram, where I'm known as EasyGoodnight, and my Twitter, where I am at MrBadExample, spelled M-R-BadExample. So with that, folks, we will call it a day. Have a good one. Rock and roll.